Uh, am I speaking loud enough that you can hear me? Okay. Several years ago in the state of New York, there was a governor by the name of Al Smith. Al Smith had aspirations to become the president of the United States on the Democratic ticket. One day, call came into the governor's office and they asked Al Smith if he would speak to the inmates of the New York State Penitentiary. And immediately he said, no, I, I'm not going to the penitentiary. But his advisor said, listen, if, if you're a sharp politician, you've got to be opportunistic and take every chance of public exposure you can get. Uh, you better accept this. So Al Smith accepted the invitation to go speak to the inmates of the New York Penitentiary. When the appointed day arrived in that huge courtyard, they had thousands of inmates gathered to hear Al Smith speak. And he stepped up to the microphone and he began his speech this way. My fellow Democrats. <laughs> and then it hit him instantly, whoa, that was not a good start. <laughs> so he decides he, he better start again. And so he says, looked at these inmates and he said, good citizens. <laughs> these were people convicted of murder, robbery, blackmail, you name the crime, they've done it all. So he realized now that he's really dug a deep hole for himself and he better get it right the third time. So he, he sort of does a little shuffle step and, and then he uh, clears his throat and he steps back up to the microphone and he says, well, I'm glad you're all here. <laughs> Let me just say, I'm glad you're here this morning. And I'm, I'm glad to be here. And, and my uh, wife, Jenner, uh, Jennifer, I, uh, I see some familiar faces, folks from Ocean City Bible Conference and from mission teams and, and so forth. And uh, just very appreciative for the opportunity to, to be here. And. Uh, I want to say also a word of thanks to our host, uh, Gary Michelle, for, for having us. It's, it's been great. Uh, although they put us in the basement so we couldn't hear them fighting up there. Well, I digress. I, I digress. Now, one more thing I need to say for my message. Um, parishioners of Gary George, you don't know what these things are. These are called message notes, okay? Uh, elsewhere in the world, some pastors use these to preach. I've never seen Gary use a note in his life. I admire that. Uh, first thing I, first time I heard Gary preach, uh, I was so struck how faithful he was to the Word of God, and secondly, that he could preach extemporaneously without notes, uh, a, a real blessing. But can't do it, folks. Otherwise, <laughs> message is going to be over in about two minutes if I don't use these. So. We're going to stick with them. If you have your Bibles, please, will you open your Bibles to the book of John, chapter 21. John, chapter 21. And I'd like to read the first 14 verses. John, chapter 21, beginning to read at verse 1. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, 
Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana of Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of the disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, We will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, Children, do you have any fish? They answered him, No. He said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not, ab- they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place, with, fire, with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish you have caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you, Lord, that you are so sovereign. We're so thankful, Lord, that in your generosity and grace towards us that you have preserved your word for us these many, many years, and we have it today. I pray now as we look at your word, God, that, that I would not get in your way. I do humbly, Lord, ask for a fresh anointing. And Father, indeed, may your Holy Spirit be our teacher this day. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the background of this passage is that uh, the crucifixion, crucifixion has already taken place. Jesus has been to the cross, he's risen from the dead, and now is a time period between the resurrection of Christ and what we find earlier in the book of Acts, uh, early part of the book of Acts, where uh, Jesus ascends into heaven. But there's this time period in between those, those two events. And so Jesus comes, and he stands on the shore, and what I believe is taking place here. Jesus wants to show five important elements of his character in the post-resurrection appearance of Christ. He reveals himself. In fact, that phrase is is repeated three times in this passage. And there are certain things about his character that, that he reveals. And so what I would like to do is to look at these five elements of his character as we consider the word today. The first element that I see Jesus revealing is that of his omnipotence. His omnipotence, the fact that he is all-powerful. And the ultimate proof of this is his victory over death. 
We can go back and read about it in Luke chapter 4. We can read in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, which we call, we've nicknamed the resurrection chapter. Jesus defeated death. He had power over death. He revealed himself. If you look at verse 4, it says that Jesus was standing on the shore. Guess what? Dead men can't stand in their own power. But he's standing there. Go to verse 5. He hollers out, have you caught any fish? Dead men can't call out. They can't talk. Verse 13. He gave them bread. He gave them fish. Things he's doing here that I think we shouldn't just skip over. In his omnipotence, he's demonstrating his power. The grave didn't hold him. He's alive. And he's omnipotent. He's full of power. In verse 12, nobody asked, who are you? It says, they knew it was the Lord, and they knew that he was alive. Moving on, he showed his omnipotence and his ability to keep a promise. Matthew chapter 26, verse 32, Jesus said, After I am raised, I will go before you to Galilee. This is where this is taking place, uh, on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. You know, sometimes people would make statements and they'll make promises of things they're going to do. Promises, but often the reality is they don't do them. They don't keep those promises because they don't have the, uh, the power to keep those promises, to, to come through with the... Uh, they don't have the, uh, the ability or, or the authority to keep those promises. In the early 20th century, there was a magician or illusionist, if you please, by the name of Harry Houdini. As a kid, I remember my grandmother telling me about going to the Stanley Theater in Pittsburgh to watch Harry Houdini do his magic tricks. And one of the things he did, he, she said he made an elephant disappear. She thought it was with something done with mirrors or something like that. But he was always, uh, he had gained notoriety across the world. Wow, Houdini could do anything. Before Houdini died, he made a proclamation, he made a promise. He said, I'm going to come back to life. And he gave them a place, and he gave them a time when he was going to come back to life. And guess what happened? He was a no-show. He couldn't keep that promise. Jesus made a promise to these guys, and he was keeping the promise. And so when Jesus makes a promise and he says, Lo, I'm with you to the end of the age, you can bet the mortgage on it. You can take it to the bank. You can stake your life on it. The Lord Jesus keeps every promise he ever made. Our omnipotent Lord shows us his power by keeping that promise. You find it in his word, he does it, period. Discussion over. The third element of showing his omnipotence was when he showed his power in comparison to their helplessness. Look at verse 3. It said, they fish all night and they caught nothing. Now, most of these seven disciples are professional fishermen, okay? They, they know this region. They know the craft. They know the Sea of Galilee. Yet they come up with zip. They've got nothing. 
there is more than we, what meets the eye here than just a fishing story. If all we see is just a fishing story, then we're missing the point. Man, in his own efforts, produces zip. Everybody say zip, so I know you're still awake. Yeah. Zip, thank you. In John chapter 15, verse 5, Jesus said, Apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, in that context, he was talking about bearing fruit. But in John chapter 21, they catch, catch absolutely nothing. And yet, Jesus rocks their boat with 153 fish. Thank you. The principle is coming to light. He showed his power. The second element I want to talk about this morning that Jesus demonstrated before them was showing his omniscience. Omniscient, meaning that he knows everything. He knew where they were out in the lake. He knew they were fishing. It's not like he said, now where did they get to? I, I know I left them somewhere here. There. No, he knew where they were the whole time. And he not only knew where they were geographically, physically, he knew where they were emotionally. He knew where they were spiritually. He knew the, the struggles that they had going on. And you know something? Our omniscient Lord knows everything about us. Maybe you're walking through deep waters right now. Maybe you're struggling with something. Maybe you've got questions. He knows all about it. Beautiful thing about our Lord, you can't throw him a curve. No, he's omniscient. That brings me to another part of, of uh, his omniscience. He knew their unsettled state of mind and heart. He knew these fishermen were floundering. Fish, flounder. Thank you. I'll be here all afternoon. Boy, I've lost, I lost some of you back at Zip. Okay. Uh, there's, there's Peter. Well, I mean, did Jesus train them for three plus years for them to, Peter sitting around, I don't know what, I'm going fishing. Oh, we'll go with you. you know, he, he knew where they were. Another thing he knew, he knew where the fish were. Look at verse six. How's that for being impressive? Maybe some of the disciples were a little bit skeptic. You know, at first, uh, they didn't know that it was Jesus. And they might have said, who's that guy standing on shore? Tell, who does he think he is telling us where to put the net on the other side of the boat? We've been here working all night. We're tired. We're cold. We've been working hard. Pretty easy for that guy to show up in shore and be a, a Monday morning quarterback and say, hey, you should have done this or put it on the other side of the, of the boat. My point is that sometimes people get skeptic when they lose sight of Jesus, when they either forget or fail to realize that a sovereign God is in control. Oh, yeah, he knew where the fish were, and he knew a whole lot more. One other, thing, one other things before we leave the subject of omniscience is a, a thing that takes place a little later than the text that we read. You, you get down to the, right after this, Jesus is talking with Peter and 
He says, do you love me? Feed my sheep. And, and this, this repeats. And, and then Peter says, yes, you know I love you. Lord, you know all things. Bingo. He knew it. Well, I shouldn't say bingo in the Baptist church, should I? I'm sorry. <laughs> he, Lord, you know all things. And indeed he does. Thirdly, this appearance of Jesus on the shore of Galilee was to show his grace. Now, Jesus is always showing his grace and in so many ways, but I want to look at three ways in this passage. First, the element of forgiveness. It says in verse 9, when they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire. A charcoal fire. You know what memory association is? Maybe you're driving down the road and a certain song comes on the radio. and Oh, yeah, that reminds me when that song was popular or whatever. I was dating my wife. Or, yeah, that reminds me of something. Or, or maybe it's, uh, it can be an aroma. You walk in and, oh, that reminds me of that bakery I was in one time. Their pastries were awesome. <laughs> it was, yeah. or, or maybe it's a place or a thing, whatever. Something that happens, and it, gives, it triggers something in our memory of a previous experience. I think we all experience that. This word charcoal fire only appears on two occasions in the New Testament. The, in the Greek New Testament, this word for charcoal fire only appears twice. First, it's when Peter denies Christ. You remember he's in the courtyard the night the Lord is betrayed and said he was warming himself by the fire. The word there is charcoal fire. Okay, it's recorded a couple places in the gospel, but it's, it's the same event. And then you remember Jesus had told him that before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. Here's Peter warming himself by the charcoal fire. And he denies the Lord for the third time. And it says that Peter and Jesus made eye contact. And Peter went out and wept bitterly. He had failed. So now we get out of the boat on the, sea of, on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. And they come up. And the first thing it says they saw was a charcoal fire. I don't think that was by coincidence. But Jesus doesn't even bring it up. Jesus doesn't say, hey, that reminds me. Doesn't say a word about it. Why? Because Peter has been forgiven. My friends, when you are forgiven, your sins are put under the blood of Jesus Christ. And you cannot outsin the blood of Jesus Christ. Remember Psalm chapter 103, verse 12 says, As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our iniquities from us. There is a dimension of grace seen here. And secondly, a thing I, I see about grace is it's shown through his provision that he does. Look at the latter part of verse 9. 
they saw the charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Now, I never did much fishing, but I did quite a bit of hunting. And I'd, we'd go out hunting, and we, we would hunt all day. And I would come home hungry. I never shot a bear, but I always came home hungry as a bear. These guys have been out all night. They are hungry. Okay, they are weary. Look at verse 11. It says, the net was full of fish, 153 large fish. Not only did he provide the fish for them, but it says the nets were not torn. Now, why was that added in there? We read that one of the, the common things that fishermen did is when they came in uh, from, from their time of fishing, they always had to mend their nets. If you look at Mark chapter 1, verse 19, you see where uh, when Jesus goes to call some of his disciples, what were they doing? They were mending their nets. It was just an everyday thing. Here they get a record catch. <laughs> Jesus not only provides the fish, but he provides nets that were not torn or broken. I believe this incident is just a microcosm of a reminder how his grace provides for us from the littlest, what we may say, trivial things in our lives all the way to the point of our salvation, the greatest thing. He is our provider. And there's a third thing about his provision, and that is his inclusion. In verse 10, Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you've just caught. I want you to note something here. Jesus did not need their fish, okay? It wasn't like, whoa, wow, what am I going to feed these? No, <laughs> Jesus certainly could put it all out there. He had it covered. But he wanted to include them. Now, I'm going to strike at some egos here this morning, but hear me loud and clear. And if you don't like this, uh, take it out on Pastor Gary after I leave. He doesn't need you and me in his kingdom, all right? But out of his grace and out of his love, he includes us. Do you ever think about that? If God wants somebody to be saved, he could go, poof, and they're saved. Ah, but we get back to Acts 1.8. You shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the, of the world. He uses us. He lets us be a part of the scene. What about money? I've heard people say, I guess it's a sign I'm old, but I've heard this over the years. Oh, God just wants my money. Bless your heart. He owns it all. He doesn't need your money. You don't have anything apart from him. But he gives us the opportunity to, to tithe and give of our offerings. We, we're included. How about encouragement? Now, I'm aware of the passage when, when David was really down and he needed encouragement. And it says he encouraged himself in the Lord, and I think there's a a good pattern to follow there. But I also think of Hebrews chapter 10, that we should forsake not the assembling of ourselves together. And one of the reasons is that we might do what to one another? Encourage one another. You see, 
he uses us in these ways, and I believe it's as an act of grace. I recently had a, my old high school football coach died. He was a great coach. And I remember my sophomore year, I was the youngest one on the team. We were playing a game and, and uh, we were trouncing the other team. The, the game was well in hand. And he turns to me and he points at me and says, Come here. And I was so insecure and I was so low on the depth chart, I never thought I'd ever get in a game. And I said, Who, me? I mean, it's not your normal macho football response. <laughs> Who, me? He said, yeah, get in the game. Now, they didn't need me in that game to win that game. They didn't even need me to give me some experience as coaches will do today. But this was an old guy. He valued the fact of including everyone. My friends, out of God's grace, he lets us get in the game. Don't sit on the sidelines. Don't say, who me? I, I can't do anything. No! For the glory of God, get in the game. Find how he has equipped you and get in the game. Number four. Jesus is there to show his friendship. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now, there, there's so much more going on here than just a trite expression saying, hey, let's get together for breakfast or, 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 or let's, let's eat together. In that culture then, as it is today, if you're willing to eat someone, it is a sign of genuine friendship. Time for confessions in church. How many of you are old, old enough to remember in October of 1981 Anwar Sadat was assassinated in Egypt. Anybody remember that? Okay, great. I feel so much younger. Uh, anyhow, the story behind that, that uh, assassination was Sadat came to America. Jimmy Carter was the president. The prime minister of Israel came, and the three of them got together. They went to Camp David. And it was to be a peace accord, which they called the Camp David Accord. And they had a photo op, and they, they took pictures of the three of them, and they were shaking hands, and Jimmy Carter smiling, if you can imagine that. And, and, and they all come together, and it's hailed as this great success. Fast forward a couple months, and some Egyptians assassinated Anwar Sadat, and they caught some of them. And they asked him, they said, why did you assassinate our president? They said it was at Camp David Accord. It wasn't the, a fact that he signed the document. It, it wasn't that he shook hands. It wasn't that he did a photo op. But they said, he sat down and ate with a Jew. Mega serious offense. You only would eat with someone in that general part of the world unless you were in good terms of friendship with them. 
Jesus says, come and eat. And he's modeling this for them. But it's not the first time Jesus has ever done this. Do you remember in Luke chapter 19, Zacchaeus? Remember Zacchaeus climbs up in the tree because he wants to get to see Jesus? Zacchaeus was known as a sinner in his community. And Jesus said, hey, I'm coming to your house. We're going to eat together. Revelation chapter 3, verse, verse 20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hear my voice, open the door. I will come in and sup. You know what supping? They're going to eat together. That's, that's part of the background of that verse. The, the, the friendship was there. Now, I, I want you to just stop for a minute. Imagine the one who died for you saying, I want to be your friend. I paid the price. I, I want to be your... You're a total sinner, but I want to be your friend. I want to have fellowship with you. Remember, they all scattered in the garden when Jesus came, uh, when Judas came to betray Jesus. Jesus didn't have a mental lapse where he'd forgotten that. He remembered that, but he's saying, I want to be your friend, and he says that to us. And so he says, come and have breakfast. And number five, and if you were paying attention earlier, you'll be excited because you'll know this is my last point. Number five, he shows his nature. Verse 13, Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. The key concept there, number five, is he's serving them. Mark chapter 10, verse 45 it said the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus has modeled this, this serving thing for uh, the disciples. Remember the Last Supper, John chapter 13. He modeled what he wanted them to do, was to serve, and what he wants us to do. You know, in a sense, in one encounter for breakfast, Jesus summed up all of his teaching that he'd given over the years. It, it only takes a minute to read these verses, but I, sometimes I think it, it takes a long journey to understand and to embrace these truths. And when we do, when we see his attributes, when we see his grace, it, in turn, it should burn within us to be a servant like he's a servant, like he was a servant and to serve him. I go back to that dialogue after this passage in verses 15 to 17, his dialogue with Peter. Peter, if you love me, feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. And I, I think what he's saying to us as we look at this, if you love me, feed my sheep. Get in the game. Get in the game. God's children said, 